As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back. Or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Big Jed, after a slight technical snafu, apologies to those of you watching along on Facebook Live, the boys are back. We took a week off. We're back, baby. Yeah, we are. In the, the year of who's back, Luke and Jed are back. Good to be back, Bogat. It's good to see your face, although I think our listeners can agree you don't, you don't sound too chipper, Big Jed. Really? That's odd. Man, I feel like 31 bucks. I don't know. I really <laughs> don't know why I don't, why I don't sound so good. <laughs> How was the cruise? Inquiring minds are dying to know. Did you enjoy the cruise experience more than I did? Yeah, so for me... Uh, that's the only way to vacation from here on out. That was my first one ever, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I, it was. It got a ten out of ten for me. Uh, ate good, you know. Got a little rest. Was thoroughly entertained. Uh, just you know, lots and lots of entertainment on the boat, and I ate pizza between every meal. So um, life was good, bro. Free That's ice cream, free pizza. That. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. Now, I did, uh, unfortunately, I did catch uh, the Efezuti uh, swamp flu uh, coming off of the boat on Friday, and it is Thursday night, Thursday evening as we speak, and it's just now starting to let up. So uh, other than that, other than almost dying, um, the, the cruise was wonderful. Once again, Big Jed toughing it out, battling it through, battling through it for you, Sports from Drag Racing Podcast. He does the show on his birthday. He does the show on his deathbed. He just does the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All for you, baby. <laughs> for you. 
It's for you, both you listeners. It's for both of you. Yes, yes. Deuces. As you as you might imagine, there have been a thing or two go on in the world of sportsman drag racing since we last met two weeks ago. Big Jed, I think that starts with my man, Justin Lamb. Justin Lamb, it's been a week and a half ago now, the national event in Seattle, but Justin Lamb extended what might well be the single most impressive streak in sportsman drag racing today. What is it that we speak of, Chad? With his stock eliminator victory in Seattle, Justin Lamb has now won at least one national event in each season for 12 consecutive years. How phenomenal, how unique is that streak? The next leading current competitor closest to Lamb is Anthony Bertozzi. With his win in Pomona earlier this year, Anthony has won in seven consecutive seasons, just over half what Justin Lamb does. 12 years in a row with at least one national event victory. How big a deal is that, Jed? Look, it's huge. Uh, you know, obviously, 12 years with a win in any form of racing is impressive. Yeah, that's hard but, in and of itself. But doing it where there's only 23 opportunities max per year, and you're really only giving yourself about uh, 7 to 10, maybe 7 to 12 on a great year opportunities incredible and when you take where he's at at what age he is and i don't know uh justin is going to be 35 ish maybe yeah i would say mid to late 30s yeah yeah so 35 to late 30s and you date that back a dozen years when he started this you know at, at the at a very young age for for a sportsman racer, most sportsman racers are people that uh, that have been in racing for quite some time. So Justin started at a young age and has continued it on into his thirties. You know the so so the question is how impressive is that? It's it's beyond impressive that that word doesn't describe it any longer. The real question is Luke, how long can it last? I mean, this guy is still at the top of his game. He's as good today as he's ever been. And, and he's, he's got the best equipment you can get. So how long can he do this? It's a tricky question because he is at the top of his game. He's got incredible equipment. What, what stands out to me, like working closely with Justin, obviously is my co-instructor and this is practice racing elite. Like I knew for years how good Justin was behind the wheel. And obviously there is a, there's a pedigree there that a lot came from Peter Biondo, came from Kyle Seipel. And, and I don't know that he's necessarily, I don't think it's fair to say anybody's like on Peter's level in the car. Like Peter just has a, a flip to switch that I don't, I don't know anyone else gets to, you know, and when he's locked in. Um, but Justin's like a, on that next tier, right? And, and that is a very, very limited tier of, of just capability to do anything in the race car. But what really separates him in my opinion and what i didn't really realize until working with him and talking with him on a regular basis his mechanical knowledge is just off the charts and willingness to tinker and play 
the way that he reads data, like he is light years ahead of the average competitor. And then to apply that, put that all into one bucket, like that's that's something that Peter and Kyle never enjoyed, either one, right? And for Justin to have, you know, probably 95% of the driving talent in addition to great equipment, in addition to just this unbelievable awareness and understanding of what's going on uh, from a mechanical standpoint. It's so I, you put all of that together and I don't know, like just for perspective, this doesn't begin to touch Dan Fletcher's record. That's like one of those Cal Ripken like streaks that I don't know will ever be touched. Fletcher won 25, yeah. went 25 consecutive years winning a national event, right? That, that streak ended in the COVID year of 2020. But like you mentioned before, I don't think it's even fair to compare apples to apples for most of that streak. Fletch was on the road making almost every national event, 20 plus years. Justin Lamb, I mean, he, I would say will always make the minimum six, but it's never more than 10. And you think you're going to score once in, let's say an average of eight national events a year. I don't care who you are. That's, that's a pretty tall order. It's really impressive to do it for 12 consecutive years. I think the odds of extending that streak to 25 are slim. But I wouldn't bet against Justin Lamb. Like, let's go 15, 16, 18, 20. Uh, If you're laying odds, I'm not going the other way. No, I definitely would never never bet against him. Um, You know, I wonder out of that dozen years how many he only won one. Uh, I would think there's obviously out of that 12 been many of those, if not all of them, that he's won multiple. So um, the guy's just, again, ultra talented, uh, as you mentioned, adding the mechanical ability to that and the, the understanding for what each of the parts on the car do and how to, to maximize performance through, you know, working on it and tinkering with it. Justin has that ability that, that some of those other names you mentioned, like Peter and Kyle, you know, no offense to them. That's just not their thing. Uh, so that that does add an element to his impressiveness, uh, and certainly, you know, I'm sure um, helps peg his pride meter because he knows that that he is responsible for setup and and how he, you know, gets the car ready for each not only event but each round. So very very impressive young man, still young man. Um, you know, do I think Dan's 25 consecutive season streak is in jeopardy? Uh, obviously not with Justin only halfway through it. Do I think that it can be done, especially by a person that's, you know, in his 30s? It can, but again, with limited opportunities, he uh, he's going to have to continue to perform very, very well for quite some time. So not really sure Justin cares about any of that. You know him as well as anyone, but um, you know, Luca, I guess if the only thing that, that I, I guess I hate for Justin is he's from Henderson, from Vegas, uh, although he is highly, highly respected in the racing community. If he lived out here, if he was out east, I think that this would be celebrated more for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know why it is that that once you get out West, just things don't get celebrated at a high enough level, but he's as good as there's ever been. 
He really is. And he deserves a lot of credit for, for what he's accomplished here, especially when you mention Bertozzi is the next closest for seven years. And we know that Bertozzi's top five all time. So Justin deserves a lot of credit for what he's accomplished. It's that East Coast bias, dog. It must be. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Just uh, as if Justin's victory in Seattle in Super in the Sock Eliminator was not enough. He followed it up seven days later with national event number win number two of 2023. This time in Super Stock, and I think that win was probably even more special for a couple of reasons. Big Jed, obviously, he mentioned it in his in his social media post following the event. Obviously, this race is in Sonoma, and that's Kyle's house, right? It's, and knowing knowing the relationship between Justin Lamb and Kyle Seipel, obviously, that one hit home for a lot of reasons. And then secondarily, it was an all – the final round of Superstock was a family affair, Big Jed. It was Justin Lamb over Trey Vetter. Trey is Justin's cousin. Trey actually runnered up in Vegas earlier this year in the car that Justin was driving, the familiar Silver State Cobalt. Uh, Trey with now back-to-back. Uh, national event runner-ups in Superstock. I think he's best known for his exploits in Super Comp and on the big dollar bracket scene. I don't believe, I think he, Trey was actually still gunning for his first national event win, so that's coming. But when you arrive in the same trailer and you're the last two cars down the track, that's a good weekend no matter how it shakes out. Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent weekend. I loved, uh, I loved Justin's post. I love the picture of he and Trey sitting there getting prepared to, to move forward to, to do battle in that final round. Um, you know, obviously Justin wants to win, but it's it's always a win when you're when you're that close to your competitor. Uh, and you know, you know, no matter what, that, that there's gonna be a celebration in your pit. So uh just a just a perfect storybook ending to that day and that that class for. Trey and Justin, and uh, again, I, I know uh, I know Trey's a, a great competitor, very good competitor, and, and wanted to turn that win light on. But uh, there's no shame in coming up short to to Justin Lamb, for sure. In what has to be considered an ongoing trend, perhaps an alarming trend, Big J. We've got more track news. Some of it good this week, though. Some some shakeups, some news. So Heartland Park, Topeka, is apparently out. Right, released a released a uh, a statement about a week ago, said that Heartland Park Topeka will hold its final NHRA national event next week after what 20, 30 years of doing so, uh, and appears to be set to close the gates for good at season's end. Um, I guess thoughts there first before we get to the good news. Well, you know, as uh, Luke, it's it's much like it has been for any um, legendary history field facility that has shut the doors. Um, very sad. There's Topeka means so much to so many. It, it's in an area of the country that's not full of drag strips. It, it has uh, stood on its own stage in that part of the country for decades and sad to see it come to an end. Obviously you're about to discuss some exciting news for that part of the country, but um, just a, a facility that, that has so much history and so many amazing drag racing moments for it to, to end those and not, 
to, to know there's not going to be any more of those in the future. It's always a sad thing. Very, very sad to see that facility shut down. First time that I ventured to Heartland Park, Topeka, Big Jed, I think the year is 1998, maybe 99. National event. One of my first national events running Super Comp. Gary Selzy crashed the the Winston top fuel car. I mean, just destroyed it. Like we didn't think he was going to come out of it alive. He's fine. They like rebuilt the car overnight and made for, I think he ended up winning the race. It was a big deal, right? But it snowed that week. It was back when the national event was in October. It snowed. We had a day off for snow. It was like 80 degrees the day before. It was Kansas. And then we we finished the race on Sunday or Monday or yeah. So craziness. My best memory. This is this turns into more of a of a Gary Bogacki story, the the senior Gary Bogacki story, than it does a Heartland Park Topeka story. But I begged my dad. I had I had won whatever round it was to advance into what was supposed to be Sunday, and then it snowed it was into Monday, and I'm supposed to go back for my senior year of high school, right? We got to go home and I'm begging. You got to let me stay. Dad. You got to let me stay. I got the buy run next round. Like the buy run down to like six cars at a national event. We got to stay. We got to stay. So he gives in. He lets me stay. I'll make my buy run Monday and I'm driving back through the pits and I notice I didn't have no oil pressure. So we pull back into the trailer. We cut the oil filter open. It's full of junk. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm. 17 years old, right? But I'm thinking that ain't good. My dad's shaking his head. And I kind of walk off and give him some space. And the next thing I know, he spins an oil filter on and he's dumping oil in the, in the valve cover. And I'm like, what are we doing? He goes, we're racing. I said, what do you mean we're racing? He said, son, you got David Rampy. You go kick his. All right, right. I, I'm fired up now. So I said, uh, I said, do I need to do anything? He said, you might want to speed it up. It's tearing itself up. Okay, I got it. So for what I get up there, I'm jacked up, right? I got, I got, I'm racing David Rampy, right? Pull under the tower, and for whatever reason, it just goes through my head. I said, Dad, Dad. He comes walking over. I said, uh, he goes, what is it? I said, hey, at what point do I, do I quit? When do I give up? He goes, do what? I said, at what? Like, it's got 15 pounds of oil pressure at idle now. Like, if it goes to five, what, where, where, when do I quit? He looks at me and goes, son, you quit when you run over the crankshaft. Started up and rolled into the water. I love his favorite line of my life. I, I did beat David Rampey, too, holding whatever I was holding. Wow. I got my butt kicked in the semis. but And it stayed together nice. for a few rounds. But, yeah, you you quit when you run over the effing crankshaft. That's that was awesome. my first Topeka memory. So, anyway, zoom out from that a little bit. Been several trips there t- since um love the facility topeka's awesome it hasn't been particularly good to me i don't know there's been particularly good to anybody it's a tricky tricky place right for a sportsman racing but an incredible facility that you hate to see go away and i don't know like you read it's gotten pretty ugly like you even see the releases from the racetrack and they are 100 blaming this on the the county government and property taxes that and i don't i don't know enough about the situation to take sides like as much as I love the facility personally, I've been, I've been unimpressed, underwhelmed by current ownership. So I have a tendency to take the other side, but I don't know the whole story there. Um, regardless, the, the future looks bleak, at least at this point for Harlan Park Topeka. I have heard some 
rumors, some rumblings that the end may not be as imminent as we think. I don't know exactly what that means, but it certainly appears imminent that its days as an NHRA national event facility will be over after the final running of the Kansas Nationals next weekend. Yeah, obviously, um, it sounds like there's a, there's hope that maybe something will continue there, but regardless, uh, no more national events is, is you know, that's um, a trend that is not what we want to see. It's um, certainly being reported too often right now at, at uh, NHRA uh, national event drag strips. So, um Hate to see it, really do. Never got to go there. Um, obviously, not doing that type of racing uh, in uh, Topeka, being where it is in comparison to my home. That's uh, it's not a facility I've uh, been fortunate enough to visit. But not a lot, a lot of like thirty grand to win footbreak races in that part of the country. Yeah, they don't do a lot of footbreak stuff, and um, I don't know that if they did, if I still would have made it. Look, so <laughs> Topeka is a long way from Colbert. It's it's a it's a fur piece, fur piece from the house. As devastating as that news is for everyone and specifically that region of the country, it was piggybacked within hours with the announcement that the the long speculated and I guess long overdue uh racetrack in Kansas City, and actually I'm blanking on the name now. I should have done a little bit more preparation as the actual name of that facility. But not only is that in the works, I saw pictures uh concrete guardrails have gone up. Not only is it in the works, it is slated to host a national event of its own in 2024. So that will quickly replace what has been the Heartland Park Topeka spot on the calendar, roughly two hours to the east. Um, that level of facility going up in this day and age is a rarity for it to happen in that same geographical region uh, at the same time that Topeka presumably closes its doors. Absolute windfall uh, for NHRA, for Division 5, and for the, the new owners there in Kansas City. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, the, the key thing that I heard you say there is it's very rare to hear of that type of facility being constructed these days. And it is. So that's wonderful news that that there are people out there with uh, the means to do this and the desire to see um, the sport that we love continue on that level. Uh, certainly hope that, uh, you know, they pack the place out and it does extremely well. Don't know what it, uh, it has in store for it from a, a weekly or, or monthly standpoint, but certainly very happy to hear that, you know, an HRA facility, an HRA capable facility, national event capable facilities being constructed and, uh, and almost finished to the point where they are putting it on the schedule for 2024. Luke, that's very exciting news. And, uh, as you said, two hours to the east, you know, in that part of the country, you know, you drive two hours where I'm at, you you pass seven, eight racetracks or, or you can get to seven or eight. In that part of the country, that's a normal hop, skip and a jump for going to the drag strip. So for people that were visiting Topeka, I'm sure another couple hours is no big deal if, if they have a premier facility to compete at. So very, very good news. Yeah, and I actually, I think I read somewhere that that facility is set to open and race before year's end. 
that seems really ambitious, but at the pace that they're going, like I don't think there's any doubt that they'll be ready to go for 2024. So that is definitely a win. And then that great news was followed up within just a couple of days by more great news. If you zoom out at least on the, the NA trade tour, if nothing else and racing in general, and that is that the boys are back big jet. And so is Phoenix wild horse pass motorsports park is back like for the, for the presumable future. Um, saw the press release, uh, Radford racing school is involved in this. They've always been a part of that facility and, uh, they have reached an agreement that the way I read it basically ensures that all motorsports at the facility will all, all motorsports, uh, complexes that are part of that massive facility will remain open for competition. Now there, this hasn't been combined yet with an announcement from NHRA, but it seems as though the writing is on the wall. The Arizona Nationals will continue to be a thing. And then more importantly for racers in that region, uh, Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park will continue operation, at least in some capacity, drag strip included. That is a huge win. Yeah, very much so, Luke. Uh, obviously, more exciting news. So we we don't get to, to report that on a, on this level where we're, we're discussing it for two NHRA facilities. We don't get to report that very often. Uh, again, even more rarer air than, uh, than what we discussed. So uh, super exciting news. Again, a part of the country that, you know, this facility means a lot to. Um, certainly uh, this, this doesn't just mean great things for NHRA racing. This means great things for the area racers out there where they don't have a ton of options as well. So, just really, really good news all around in both Arizona and Kansas City to know that the, that these facilities are being able to to be saved, built, constructed, and saved, and and still committed to NHRA drag racing. Um, as you mentioned, huge win right here for the state of Arizona, the West Coast racers, and the NHRA tour. Circling back briefly on the Heartland Park Topeka news, and, and again, that's that's been widely assumed, if not at least speculated for months, if not years. And it is a it is a unique situation in terms of a lot of the other track closings that we've heard of recently were very much real estate offers that were difficult to turn down. This is this seems to be more of a property tax issue. I don't know that there's anyone standing there with cash in hand to to purchase that facility or the land that it's on. I don't know that there's not, but that is not the reason for the the closing, if you will. But if you put all of this together, Big Jed, like the the recent announcements from Denver, from Atco, to for to smaller races like uh, Redline Raceway down in Texas, Emerald Coast in Florida and more, is this a a unique coincidence that that all of these tracks seem to be kind of boarding up the gates at the same time or is it actually one of if not the most difficult times to own and operate a racetrack in recent history um yes um you know there's a little yes in both of those questions uh, i think it's more the latter i think it's extremely difficult to to own and operate a drag strip these days and and make it profitable, especially for the investment that it takes. I think uh, people with, with the type of money that it takes to operate a drag strip successfully 
could probably choose a lot of other avenues for that money and, and get much better return on it. So you have to have a love for racing. Uh, a lot of times you have to have a love for the facility, the particular facility that you're at. You know, it's happening locally for me, Laster Mountain Dragway. You, you've uh, lived around this area. You've raced there. That facility is, uh, appears to be shutting down. And uh, that's, uh, that's a tough one to take. Um, Huntsville Dragway has the gates locked. Uh, you've spent as much time there as anywhere when you were in Alabama. So, um, look, I'm not sure that we're just not getting the word more these days through social media. I think drag strips have been closing and shutting down and, you know, halting activities for many, many a decade but I think now through social media and, and everybody um, that, that being such a big deal to everybody, I think it's, it's being heightened um, and we're getting that word a little more often now than we used to uh, back in the day. But either way um, there's definitely so much difficulty in owning and operating a drag strip, any decent offer on your land or just, you know, finally deciding to quit beating your head against the wall through a lease where you you can't spend the capital to to upgrade the facility because it's not your land. You're not you're improving someone else's land, and that's what's going on locally for for me in the in my drag strip of choice right here at home. Uh, so you know, so many challenges and very little uh, great wins or rewards. I think is just sending people the other direction. Now, if you're committed to this and you put your time and effort into it and you try really hard and you have a passion for racing and you own an operated drag strip, there's a lot of cases around me that are very successful and, and it's showing that it can be done. It can be done on a strong level. You can't just rat hole yourself into one category like bracket racing you know, the, the tracks around me that are very successful do a lot of different things. And 20 years ago, Luke, we all would have been mad at that track on what you're not going to race Saturday. You're going to have grudge fest, or you're going to have, you know, some kind of heads up show or some kind of uh, a match race. We'd been mad about that because we didn't get the race. But nowadays I think people are more accepting of that. They understand it takes that to keep the drag strips open and the tracks that have a, a nice, um, wide arrangement of, of races for their fans and for their racers and their supporters, uh, they seem to do really well. So, um, you know, maybe some of these tracks are too committed to one type of racing or don't understand enough different types of racing to allow themselves to open the gates for those things, whatever the case may be. I think that also leads to some closings. No, I think you nailed it there all the way around. It's as a, as racers, I think it's very easy, especially when this hits close to home to, because we're so emotionally invested in these facilities, right? Like so many of us have met so many friends, loved ones, what have you, like established so many relationships, have so many memories at these tracks that they feel like very much a part of our lives, right? And so when they shut down, like there is a level of, of vitriol, like how could you make that decision and take away, you know, what seems like a second home? 
when just like you said, like, I'll say this, my, my father, that's turned into very much a podcast about my father. My father always romanticized the idea of owning his own drag strip. Like that was the, the, the ultimate, you know, profession, like where the ultimate goal in his life. And so for a lot of years, I harbored the same desire. And then I put on a few races. I got close to a few track operators and I realized that is the last thing that I want to do with my, like it is, it's such a difficult gig to your earlier point, Jed, like the amount of investment that you have to make, forget the money and just the time and energy. You put that into any other business and you will make far more money than you ever will owning and operating a racetrack with, I mean, yes. with the possible exception of like Bill Bader Jr., who is one of a kind, right? Like in a, in a, in a, in a field completely of his own. And I just, I don't think that we as racers see all of that, right? Just how difficult that is and how after a decade or two decades or three decades of that, when this, whether it's just a monster offer comes along or perhaps it's just like, hey, I've been beating my head against the wall here for 10 years and this thing hasn't really turned a profit. Like I'm just ready to do something different. I find it difficult to blame those track operators as much as I want those racetracks there. Like it's a really tough road to hoe. And I think if anything, as a racing community, what we need to be doing collectively is thinking about how we can make that business model more sustainable. Like you say the simple things like just stop bitching as much, right? Like that would help. But I think we could all do some things to, 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 to help out right? Financially one way or the other, like there's, there are better models to, to make this work. And I just don't think the average racer really understands what, whether it is a one person show, you know, track owner operator doing everything themselves to a, to a national event level facility. Like it's just not, it's not an easy gig. And I think a lot of times it's not a fun gig. Like the, the, to your point, the, the more sustainable racetracks are definitely owned and or managed by racers who have every bit the passion for this that we do. Um, but I'm just telling you, like, if I did that job for 10 years, I don't know that that, that spark, that flame would be as strong. Like, it's just a thankless, difficult job. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard for me to, to point a finger at anybody wanting to go a different direction. Yeah, very well said, Luke. It's, you know, it, it's definitely something that, as we both mentioned that that you could get a better return on your investment if you were to invest that time and that kind of dollars into a different business so um you know it it takes passionate people but it also takes good customers you know nobody nobody wants to they don't even want to just make money on bad customers you know they everybody wants to be appreciated and and for what track owners and operators have to go through the grass don't cut itself uh corn dogs don't just show up in the concession stand on saturday and and you get to cook them and sell them uh the trash don't pick itself up you know there's so many behind the scenes things that are done that people have zero idea or or they don't i guess they're just not oblivious to it they just don't think about it you know they don't think about how that track owner's got a home too, that they have to do all those things at home, maintain it. And then they've got to go spend whatever hours they've got during the week to, to get the place ready for you. 
so much effort and so much energy put in. So, um, you know, this, this wasn't meant to be a discussion to, to try to make sure everybody's showing appreciation for their track owner and operator. But uh, if you're out there listening or watching or both, it's not a bad idea. Um, you know, look around the place. Is it clean every time you show up? Are the restrooms clean? You know, the, the concession stand stocked? All those things on top of a great surface did you get to race on and decent pits that you get to hang out in that stuff don't just happen so uh show some appreciation for your track owner and operator um they're they're doing it for very little return on their investment and uh it'd be nice for them to to get appreciated for it just looking through the the facebook comments and i thought it's uh one of our loyal listeners scott Purley, makes a really good point like it's very easy to to proclaim doom and gloom here like this is probably this this could very well be in in his words the the bottom end of a bad cycle right like we have seen this before the 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 uh illustration that he used was everybody thought that the sport was dead when orange county and lions closed you know some four decades ago right and obviously it's it's thrived since so i don't mean to paint this picture of like oh my god what are we going to do next like there are there are facilities that are alive and well and thriving and run by very passionate very caring people that are that are going to continue carrying the flag for this sport i, I don't think it's doom and gloom on a nationwide level but at the same time like some of these some of these changes are going to be difficult to overcome more so on a on a regional basis i mean you see I'm sure you've seen the post just like I have, Jed. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of racing equipment for sale in the Denver area. You know, and then if and when the Bandemeers rebuild two, three, four, five years from now, like I don't think there's any guarantee that all of those people get back into the sport, right? So um and that's you know, Denver is just one a microcosm of that. Like there is that's that's going on in different regions of the country across the board. And obviously on a big picture level, that's not great, but it's also a very small sample size. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, in those areas where those tracks like that are closing, there there's going to be quite a bit of stuff for sale. And uh, I've always heard, Luke. I hope I never find out, but I've always heard the the hardest thing to do is get back in once you've completely gotten out. So. Uh, you know, these, these little, you know, you got $300 starters or you got uh, carburetors or you got some spare parts laying around and before you know it, you do a garage clean out and you got, you know, $4,600 worth of spare stuff here and there. And you got a golf cart and a trailer and a scooter and a race car. And when all that gets gone, the investment to, to get back in and do it again, uh, that's, that's a, a lump sum that people usually aren't willing to to commit to so um you know when you once you get out i think it's it's a it's a very small percentage that we ever see come back now i mean you think about what we've accumulated as racers over the years and it's always been oh, bit by bit so you could somehow justify it like i think of it like this like thank you to larice motorsports insurance like I, i've to the point now I've, I've got my 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 racing um program insured right that thing burns to the ground trailer burns to the ground everything i got's in it and they cut me a check and i'm like oh my god that's what i had in there 
It'd be really hard to just spend that and start it. Like I've been looking at that check going, oh boy, I could do some things with this. You know, you didn't think about it building it up along the way, but when it's all at once and that's what that would be, you know, if you, if you sell out. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be difficult to, it's as hard as this stuff is to justify in the first place. If you had to crack that all at once, I don't think most of us would sign back up. No, I think you're spot on with that. All right, let's get back onto the racetrack. Quick uh, Western swing recap, because as we said, we haven't uh, we haven't gotten an opportunity to kick to uh, catch back up since Seattle, and obviously since then Seattle and Sonoma are in the books. We as we mentioned, Justin Lam Justin Lamb was dominant uh, out west, which is kind of par for the course on the Western swing. But two wins along that trail is uh, is unique. What about? Dennis Paz, Big Jed. We're very familiar with that name. West Coast legend. He's won everything there is to win on the West Coast, except coming into last weekend, at least, an NHRA national event. And Big Jed, not only did Dennis Paz accomplish that feat, he nearly done it twice. Yeah, pretty stout. Uh, you know, no surprise to see Dennis, obviously, uh, win and, and then and get close on the other event or on the other race. But, uh, but Luke, this is not what we typically see Dennis do, but good racers are good racers. You know, they're, they're just, they're really, they're really understanding of what it takes to get a win light. And, uh, and that's who Dennis is. You know, he, uh, he, he performed well, uh, he's performed well multiple times at the spring playing million. So I think, um, Aside from what racing he's done on the West Coast, where that wouldn't have uh, made him uh, such a known person out there, Spring Fling Million definitely an event that has put him on the East Coast uh, map or put it in put him in the line of sight for the East Coasters out here. So Dennis performed well out there, going out here and doing what he did and getting his first national event win in a you know a, a, a long history of getting big wins in his general region of the country a very impressive deal for dennis uh, really happy for him dennis drives to the final round in both the 990 super gas category and the 1090 super street category drops the final of super street first has to hustle back to the lanes to take on evan kowalski multi-time national event winner in the final round of super gas and in that moment like there's there's I always said the hardest round to win is the round after you just lost, right? Especially you're talking national event finals. Like there's I, even as calm, cool, and collected as Dennis Paz seems to be, he seems like the unshakable force. Like there's got to be a part of him that lets his mind wander and think like, I'm about to double up. And then you drop one and all of a sudden you, you don't, you, I just don't want to run her up both classes is, is what most of us would be thinking, right? On the heels of all that, he comes back and lays down eight total in the super gas final to get that first wally eight total in let's let's be honest big jet is not your traditional super gas car 132 miles an hour in the final at sonoma okay eight total first national event victory congratulations dennis pass yeah big deal there for dennis i luke i was actually backwards i thought dennis won and then come back and run it up so he he got the runner up first and then comes back and lays down the hero run to get the win. That's even more impressive. Uh, knowing that, you know, you're bidding for your first national event win, you come up short 
there, there's got to be a ton of emotion in that. And then you come back and do what he did. That's uh that's truly incredible. Yeah. I don't want to misspeak the way it's listed on Drager central. I am almost certain super street final ran first. He drops that final to Kenny snow, close race. Um, 10 thousandths of a second. Kenny snow gets his first national event while a second national event final pass comes back by drag race central. This was 15 minutes later for the super guest final where he knocks off one. Evan Kowalski. Speaking of tremendous runs in the final round, Parker Theobald made a tremendous run in the Super Comp final, but that was just one of six. That dude didn't miss all week long in Sonoma. Parker Theobald gets the Super Comp win. He's six, takes six in the final. That sounds really impressive. That's pretty much what he did every step of the way. His worst light coming into the final 14, his best light coming into the final eight. I have no idea if this is true, but I'm just going to say he rolled a few thou out to make it more better in the final and turned it six. Parker Theobald, not only with the victory, but in impressive fashion in Sonoma. Luke, I don't know if you see in the show notes above uh, the, the snippet of the, of the run, what his name how his name reads in the in the show notes there it's parker theobalds uh, <laughs> might be and, apropos uh, given the performance uh, yeah i don't know what apropos means but i i yeah definitely uh should be what his name is so um parker luke i there's a trend here and you would have mentioned it had you really thought about it but look Look how the the runs progress round by round. You know, he was 14-14, and then what happened? He got two he thou, thou better. He, two thou better every run after round two. You know what? I'm gonna say, do you keep in your logbook like a true reaction time, Big Jed? I don't have a logbook. Okay, well, so. if, if you did, you, you can follow the line of thinking, right? So first round, let's just say Parker Theobald was eight on his last time run. He's like, you know, it's Sonoma. It's really hard to dial here. It's a blind round. I'm just going to put six thou in, set up 14. Bam, 14. That's cool. I bet that'll work again. Leave it alone. Bam, 14. You know, it's third round of a national event. Let's tighten this up just a little bit. I'm going to pull two thou out, 12. Yeah, that worked. I'm going to pull two thou out again, 10. Semifinals, I might as well be, yo. I'm going to pull two more thou out, eight. That's the final round where I got to lose. Let's pull another two thou. Six. I'm just going to throw it out there, Big Jed. I don't think Parker Theobald moved a thousandth on the tree in six rounds of competition. That's very likely. And when you look at the names that lined up with those rounds, I think your your uh, strategy or your thoughts probably are perfect. Because, oh, okay, well, I've been 14-14. I got Steve Williams coming up here. So I, I better pull me a couple. I'm going to be maybe a little amped and I'm going to pull a couple Oh, okay. I was 12. So I'm right there. Oh, damn. I got Val Torres next round. So I probably ought to get me. He's in the fourth round. So I better go ahead and get me a couple more. Yeah, I'd like to be so 10 here. So forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So on and so forth till you get six. I wish they had to give Parker Theobalds one more run and let him pull six thou just to see if he was perfect. Because I think he would have been. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. Bo Butner made a rare stock eliminator appearance in Sonoma and nearly 
Nearly made it stick. He turned it red in the final round opposite Leo Glassbrenner. A couple other news and notes from the Western Swing. The third and Ted Kellner, Big Jed. It's like a throwback top sportsman race. It could You could have said Sonoma National Event 1984. And it's not going to surprise me a bit that Mike Furter and Ted Kellner are in the winner's circle. They do it in 2023. They just keep on keeping on, Big Jed. So impressive. And you wouldn't think that that is the category that you would go out and thought those guys got to be in their 70s and continue to dominate, but they both do it. Wow, I didn't realize. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with as familiar with Ted, but uh, Ferd. I didn't realize Ferd had uh, had had that many uh, birthdays lately. So I might be very, overselling it a little bit. I, I'll say they're both north of. Virginia. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, very impressive, and and definitely a throwback uh, top sportsman win there. Those those guys been doing it a long time for sure, and and uh, Bob Utner, uh, you know making the, the stock eliminator final round. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive as well. Leo got glass printer, tough competitor. Always seem to Leo always seems to be out there getting it done in stock eliminator when, uh, when these events come to the West coast. So happy for Leo and, uh, and not a bad outing there for Mr. Utner. Not a bit glass printer. Another one of those underrated under quiet, unassuming guys that out West just, Tends to dominate. Um, and fast. I think he's fast in his class too, Luke. So yeah, yeah. He's got he builds transmissions. He's he's go Leo fast, class racer yeah. guy. Rise of the lanes with his chest poked out. Like, come get it. You want it? Let's go. <laughs> in Seattle, former top dragster world champion Paul Nero scored his first super gas victory. And Tom Bayer scored yet again. He was the uh, top dragster winner in Seattle. Got that victory, oh, by the way, over one Dylan Haug. And Haug, he had as good a Western swing as you can have, Big Jed, without actually hoisting a wally. Pulled the elusive double runner-up in Seattle, runner-up in super comp, runner-up in top dragster. A week later, drove to the semifinal in top dragster Sonoma. Dylan Howe put together a lot of wind lights. Didn't end up getting the final wind light, but that's about as good as you can do on the Western Swing without doing gooder. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Howe's uh, doing a lot of that right now. Turned on a lot of wind lights, Luke, uh, either on the bracket side, on the NHRA side. Uh, this guy's got her dialed in, doing very well. Tom Bayer, what a legend. Uh, this guy's has done this for so long at such a high level. So great to see Tom continuing his win streak. And then shouts to my dog, Paul Nero, that that former top dragster world championship that you discussed, Luke, is the, the one and only thing that I picked right when we did NHRA picks to begin the, the season several years ago and, uh, and I picked Paul and Paul got it done. So he's my dog. He did win in super gas as opposed to top dragster, but uh, really happy for Paul. The, uh, the, one of the few guys you're going to see from Oregon get out and about and get it done. Uh, not that they're bad racers out there. I didn't mean it the way that sounded, but I just don't hear a lot of Oregon winners for whatever reason. So good for you, Paul. You still my dog, bro. Got a few other News and notes that we just kind of put together from across the country for you, Jed. I think I'll roll through most of these in order and you can just weigh in as you see appropriate. First, my man, friend of the podcast, J.R. Lobner doubles at Topeka, wins both legs of Top Sportsman. And Big Jed, this was his first NHRA appearance of the season. 
And it wasn't just his first NHRA appearance of the season. Like when he started that cutlass, there was all kind of stuff come out of the headers. Like nothing they had had been running in eight months. Rats. Ah, <laughs> all right, let's go to Topeka. It's it still runs. Let's run. And the still running part was very much in doubt. Like the first day, I, I, I rode by the pit area a few times. It was a bit of a thrash on everything. Right, first time out. But back to go, a, back to a familiar place for Jr. And this sets up. I mean, you're undefeated through two events. Is there a possibility of another championship run here in top sports? It's a little bit late to get started, but you got two wins. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, JR, uh, he's not gonna, he's not gonna chase this thing. I mean, he just cranked his crap for the first time, you know, in July. So nah, he's over it. He went out, did what he does, turn on wind lights, and he'll probably roll everything back up in the shop cover it up and then go do whatever it was that was keeping him from getting there in the first place. I did notice he's entered at the national event next weekend. What about when he wins that? Does the, does, does the thought cross his mind at that point? Is there a temptation? Yeah. The thought crosses his mind. If he wins the next time out, two wins is no big deal for, for junior Lobner. And he does this a lot. So he's not super excited just yet, but if he gets that third one, Luke, then hang on a minute. We might be making some travel plans. Admittedly, I am saying some of this tongue-in-cheek. JR told me, it might have told us, do we have him on the show? It seems like it was some type of public-facing thing, and JR said after his last run at a national championship, which I believe ended with a second-place finish in fairly dramatic fashion, he said, never again. This was stupid. Like, I just freaking drove to Las Vegas to run for $3,000, right? Like, we all get it. I can't see him going down that road again. They got they got 18 kids. They're in a million sports. They're busy, right? Running their own business. I don't think racing is the priority that it once was. I don't think there's much that could get him to chase a full NHRA tour, but keep winning. And he might just keep winning. Yeah, you almost have to. You never know. You just never know. Uh, speaking of Topeka, we'll stay there. Jay Story got the double in race two of the Topeka Um double divisional where he won both stock and super stock and capped that off with a rare heads up super stock final round victory over friend of the podcast one ryan monford dane ward also in multiple final rounds in topeka here and a win in race two in top dragster following a runner up in race one on the bracket scene randy shewer just keeps winning them ace races if he's not careful we're gonna start calling him chris bear he wins one of the 20s at, uh, at Dragway 42. Nick Hastings, obviously a familiar name who's been relatively quiet here in 2023. He gets the other 20 grander, presumably off the bottom uh, against all the cars that were off the top. Those are the two big winners at the ace race. Jason Lynch, our boy Catfish Big Jed, he's been hot lately. $10,000 win at Beach Bend. Two, three weeks ago, followed that up with a $15,000 final at Pittsburgh. I don't think that final ever got to get run, but he was in it or would have been in it had it gotten had it gotten run. So uh, a lot going on across the board. I guess we'll stop there in the middle. Any, any thoughts on any of that randomness? Well, first, first and foremost, uh, you know, great to see Dane Ward's name on the list. Uh, Dane... A uh, guy that uh, that I used to see from time to time at some of the the big races, uh, especially in the mid south area, 
but uh, hadn't seen or heard from Dane in quite some time. So great to see Dane get a win and a runner up there in the fast class at to uh, Randy Shire, a guy that uh, that I know well. I, I, I helped me a lot over the years, and I, I definitely appreciate that. So great to see Randy getting her done. Nick Hastings, eh, you know, whatever. I'm over that dude. Uh, <laughs> nah, I kid. Obviously love Nick. Uh, very happy to see him uh, in the bottom. I think that's the only way Nick rolls. So uh, definitely if that did happen, and, and I – think it's a fair assumption that it did, then uh, good for him. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of Nick. Nick has uh, has welcomed a, a new baby into the world in the last many months of uh, this year. So uh, he spent a lot of time at home with the baby uh, as he should. So really happy for Nick and, and his growing family and uh, certainly a, a great reason to, to be out there missing some races and uh, but obviously when he comes back out, Luke, he still got it. So good for him. And then Catfish, awesome. Just love seeing Catfish do well. He's uh, he's just one of those guys that uh, is always happy to be at the track. He's always got the same approach and demeanor. And, you know, he's just good time Catfish, same old Catfish, talented on the race, as good a buddy as you'll need off the racetrack and, uh, and love seeing him compete and do well and, uh, and that's a pretty good run that he's had so far uh, in 2023 and i'm sure there's much more good things to come for he and his camp yeah that lynch and and honestly the, a fair amount of that that crowd around the nashville area like you don't hear jason lynch's name as much as he did five years ago you probably don't hear todd sensony's name as much as he did five or ten years ago those guys are still out there and they're still winning at a really high level, but the nature of racing in that area, like they just don't have to leave. Those guys can race for five, 10 grand every time they open the gates at yes. four, five, six racetracks within three, four hours of home. And Lynch and I had this conversation a year or so ago. He's like, no, I've been doing really good. It's just nobody knows about it. Cause like, there ain't no sense in me leaving that circle at Nashville, Bowling Green, Knoxville, um, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of great racing in that area that Very doesn't get point. a ton of notoriety, but it, it all pays well. Very good point. Look, winning, winning five or 10 close to home is as good as winning 20 with a, you know, a $3,000 tab or a lot of travel expenses and time away from home and time away from the family. So yeah, that's an excellent point. The, the racing in that region of the country is as good as it is anywhere uh, on a weekly basis. Music City seemed like they're paying five thousand dollars a week. I don't know anytime they, they open not, the gate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I thought that was about a five grander every time. So Bowling Green, as you said, and then you know within three hours probably of him, you know, there's a lot of mega style events. So yeah, excellent point you made. He don't have to get out too much. He's been quietly hot. Another racer that's been red hot, maybe not as quietly. Mm. Got your boy, Big Chad Taylor Bowling. We've talked about him at length this season. Obviously, he was runner-up to Lane Dickin in the $100,000 main event, the TB Promotions event in Beach Bend. He pulled the delay box out. He disregarded the trans break. He swapped feet at the World Foot Break Challenge and swapped feet his way to $50,000 prize. That wasn't enough, Big Jed. A week after, he goes to Bowling Green for the 
what used to be the 10 tucks. I believe now it's called 10 G at BG drives to the final round. There falls in the final $10,000 race runner up a week after that. He goes to Crossville, Tennessee wins another five grander. This dude don't race every week. Big Jed, when he goes, he's in the final, he wins. Yeah. Taylor, obviously on uh, a heater really don't even begin to describe it. Uh, but just an incredible run for him, Luke. And, you know, he, he's doing it both with the button in his hand with without the aid of that, being able to swap feet. Uh, guys showing some versatility that not a ton of racers possess. I mean, he really, he really has the ability to get it done in any style of bracket race that, that you can put on. And that's super impressive. It's also very impressive that you know he's he's going 660s to 680s according to what facility or what kind of elevation he's at you know and taylor can always run the dial in uh, i think you know what i mean so you know he's not just depending on his equipment which is great but he's not just depending on that and hoping that the wind light comes on uh, the guy's driving and he's driving against some fast cars in the other lane so He's showing a, a, a super uh, amount of talent and ability and, you know, focus and certainly nerve control uh, with the, the types of races that he's competing in and the, the rounds that he's competing, the final rounds he's competing in. Just very, very impressed with Taylor and what he's doing and super nice off the racetrack, humble young man that understands he's he's on an amazing ride and it's one that that he has created but he certainly understands you know that that you have to uh you have to enjoy it while you can because these things don't always last forever so really happy with uh with what's happening in taylor's life he deserves it i'm glad you brought that up jed because if you walk through and even have discussions in the door car staging lanes at the biggest events in the country, the thought of competing in a 660 to 670, 680 car, like most racers would tend to agree. And maybe it's group think like that is a disadvantage. Like I hear, I, I've had so many conversations the last two years, like the sweet spot for your door cars, it's like 570 to 60. That's where you want to be. And I don't know that I completely agree with that, but most everybody would not be comfortable being on the slow end in the upper sixes. And Taylor Bowling does it. And to your point, is pretty aggressive at the finish line. Like I remember watching the, the latter rounds of that $100,000 to win event at Bowling Green that we just talked about. And there was a couple rounds in a row. I thought, man, that dude keeps running fast dragsters and he keeps getting there like two, three thou. Like, damn, that's 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 some good circumstances right there, right? And then he did it a couple more times. And I think he did it when he lost in the final. And I thought, man, he had a really good day. And then I'm really locked in at the Jeg Summer Door Car Shootout. Like I'm watching the printouts. And this dude, granted, it's just door cars, but uh, damn near every one of them faster than he is. And the finish margin just keeps coming up. Five thousand, six thousand, three thousand, four thousand, run after run after run to the point now that I am convinced it is not coincidence. It is not circumstance. Dude is not afraid and is, I mean, obviously, I don't know if anybody could do that every single round, but dude does it a bunch. And I 
pretty much convinced he does it on purpose. That's not easy. That's a skill set that most of us don't have. And he has shown repeatedly that that's something he does very, very well. Well said. Yeah. He, uh, when I interviewed him after the 50 grand win in Bristol, you know, uh, when he talked about when he, when he left, he said, I knew, you know, I knew I got it when I left. He was obviously six dead six in the final. He said, I knew I got it. And he said immediately in my head, it was fine dead on, uh, you know? So I love that, you know, that thought process that, okay, I did my job. I did exactly what I was supposed to do on this end. The other end, the mission is not take 3,000, not take 8,000, not get behind. Wasn't worried so much for where Charlie was in the other lane because he knew Charlie was going to be there. The mission was fine dead on. That's discipline. That's the discipline that separates winners from people that get close. And, uh, and that's what Taylor has. He has it right now and he's using it and it's obviously uh, producing great results for him. Taylor's latest victory was at Crossville. What Taylor didn't win at Crossville, Big Jed? Jake Hodge did. I think he won everything else there, so shouts to him. Speaking of winning just about everything they've got, it, it wasn't a, a, a huge marquee event, but uh, the the Ultimate 64 miniseries rolled into uh, Kill Care last weekend, and the Coughlin family showed out. Samantha won, I believe it was a 32-car ladies shootout, and then Jeg won the $6,400 to win main event. Not uh, too far removed from his $50,000 win at Gateway just a month or two ago. Uh, so kudos to the Coughlin family as well. The one other event that I wanted to touch on, and Jed, I'll throw this to you just because it's more, it's a race near and dear, a little closer to your heart, Big Jed. US 131 bottom ball bash. This is quickly becoming one of the races on the, on the short list of must attends for bottom ball competitors really across the country. Yeah, Luke, uh, obviously this race means a lot to, to that region, but uh, if you if you looked this year, and I think it happened last year as well, people starting to travel a little while to, to get to US 131 there in Michigan. Um, obviously a great facility. It has hosted SFG 1.1 million and other big SFG events along with many great events over the years. Um, and it's, you know, it's, Michigan, it's uh, July. I think uh, the weather was fantastic for this time of year. I think a lot of the people that come from the south part of the country or southern from Michigan enjoyed the cooler temperatures. And then I think the staff there at US 131 just does a phenomenal job. Uh, they put on a great event and, and they did that as well uh, here at the Bottom Bowl Bash. Uh, Aaron Average. Not a lot of folks up there swapping feet, Luke. So this is uh, going to be mostly uh, trans brake racers. I don't know if my boy uh, Jordan Wilhelm was uh, trans breaking it or swapping feet, but um, definitely got a win there in the, the 5K race. But Aaron Everidge got the, the first 10K race, and um, he wasn't foot breaking. Uh, no, he was, he was on, not. <laughs> he was only on two wheels, Luke. And uh, that wasn't just because he was going through on the back ones. Uh, so, you know, obviously the, uh, the one time I traveled that kind of far north, they let everything race. 
motorcycles. Uh, you know, Adam Davis asked me, he said, they, they let the C-Dews race because it was a snowmobile on the lanes. <laughs> so he, he was like, man, I ain't never seen nothing like this. So, so there was all kind of stuff up there racing, but Aaron Everidge obviously uh, took his uh, bike and got it done there in the, the 10K race, Jordan Wilhelm in the 5K and uh, Stan Jones, who was runner-up to Everidge, uh, also runner up in Friday's warm up race to Todd Schmitz. So some great winners up there. I think they had a really good crowd. I think they had uh, great weather, maybe a little shower here or there, but uh, didn't put too much of a halt on the racing. And, and uh, another well run event by the folks there at the bottom bowl of bash in US 131. Home, uh, my mainest man, Justin Wanamaker. I think that's all the news that is news from the week that was, or in this case, Jed, the weeks that were on the horizon. When we reconvene next week, we will undoubtedly be talking World Super Pro Challenge, Nightfire Nationals up in Boise, two of the longest running, most prestigious events in this day and age, not necessarily the two richest events in the country, but definitely two of the longest running at the facility, most prestigious, two very, very meaningful races uh, going on up in Boise, Idaho and in Stanton, Michigan. So we will recap those. We've got a couple events on the NHRA Lucas Oil Series happening this weekend, uh, both basically rescheduled. So one from in one in Indianapolis that's rescheduled from a rain out earlier in the year and one in Reading, Pennsylvania, that is actually was actually rescheduled on the same date this was an event that was originally supposed to be at the racetrack, formerly known as ATCO. Uh, Kyle Koretsky and oh, that it. crew picked up the slack there, made it happen to move that event to Maple Grove in Reading. So we'll talk about that and much more next week. Yeah, I look forward to that. Uh, obviously, the World Super Pro Challenge um, is the event that helped Steve and I uh, developed the name for our world foot break challenge. Um, so, uh, legendary event, um, the, the original 50 K the 50 K that we yeah, now take for granted. The OG, the Ledford's mid Michigan, just, uh, you know, again, uh, such history in that event, the longest running, uh, year after year event that, uh, that we see on any, um, any scale right now. So, uh, very impressive what they've accomplished. It's a bucket list event. I hope to make it one day. And the Nightfire Nats, uh, I was texting with my man, Sean Clark, out there in Boise. I heard you guys might have, a, might have a plan coming together for 2024. Eh, eh. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't call it a plan yet, but there's definitely an option that I didn't have prior. So, uh, man, I would really love to go to the Nightfire Nats. That's, a, that's such a bucket list event because that thing's got it all in it. So, be really cool so maybe one day i'll make it out there uh hopefully next year but if not it'll happen at some point so lots of great racing to talk about luke um want to go back just real quick and uh, and shouts to jake hodge and easton uh that team that father-son team is uh, is doing some great things on the racetrack right now and uh, jake's got his working man 10 grand this weekend hope that's going well for him hope they get off to a great start and, uh, and have a great weekend of racing and Easton's on the mic. So shouts to my boys there. Looking forward to hearing more about the, the working man, 10 grands here 
as the weekend progresses. And uh, Luke, that pretty much wraps us up. Um, folks, we appreciate you watching. We appreciate you listening. Whatever, uh, whatever method you're using tonight or on Friday, if you're listening to this, we appreciate you joining in the Drag Racing Podcast. If you got something that you'd like to discuss, be like George Hawk. I know going bracket racing said nice tan. I did tan up just a little. So I appreciate that uh, going bracket racing. And George, appreciate all your great comments. Steve Logan, all you guys that were online joining us, uh, we definitely appreciate you. But if you got other things you want to say, there's a place to do that. Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page is open for you. Uh, you can post your comments about the show or a show you'd like to see or hear more about or a topic you'd like to see or hear more about. Uh, you can do that right there on the Facebook page. And if you're not comfortable with that where everybody can see it, you can uh, send us a private message and producer Marcus snag that up and let us know what you had to say. Luke, how about some shouts this week? Shouts. <laughs> let, me, so let me start off by shouting out Mike Furter and Ted Kellner. I might have aged them each like a decade. So if I missed on that, my apologies. Shouts to both of you guys and congratulations on your recent top sportsman victories. Shouts. Two more gooder shouts to Apropos, shouts to J.R. Loebner and his 18 kids, shouts to you, Big Jed, for gutting this out, taking one for the team, playing through the pain. We appreciate you, big fella. You know, you have to say that to me too often, Luke. I think I'm a big pudding. Uh, uh, I seem like I have issues too much too often. I, I don't feel like a sickly kind of guy, but it seems like I do have power through for the show a fair amount not real sure why but uh but i appreciate the shout out that that does make me feel better and it makes me feel like you know my efforts are noticed and that's really all anybody wants out of life just like your track owner and operator folks luke and i are both active on the x the x now it's a it's not twitter anymore i guess it's twitter but i don't know if it's not twitter but it's it's a it's the x that so app and I showed up on my phone. I'm like, what is this? Did, damn it, yes. Gary. Why did why did my son down, download another new app? What is it? Oh, that's, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. formerly known as Twitter. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was going to, I was doing my biweekly uh, check of my Twitter and uh, I was like, crap, where is it? And then, then I noticed there was a black X where my Twitter is supposed to be. So I hit it and lo and behold, it was Twitter. So Luke and I are active on there. Check us out. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. Again, thank you for watching or thank you for listening or thank you for doing both if you happen to do both. We're with you, hashtag loyal listeners, and we can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Yeah, both of you. See you guys. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal 
in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.